Welcome to Concord Matters, a show seeking for concord, agreement in Christian confession. Concord mattered to Jesus and Paul, and so it does to us also. Spend these next 60 minutes as we talk matters of Concord. Concord Matters, a program produced by the Christ-Centered Leader in Confessional Broadcasting. Worldwide KFUO, online at kfuo.org. And welcome to Concord Matters, the show where we seek to be of one mind that is the mind of Christ. And to do that, we read through the book of Concord, which is what we believe, teach, and confess according to Scripture in our Lutheran confessions. And our cohort of Christ-confessing Concordians to help us do that today is... The same group we had last week. It's been a whole week since we've been together. <laughs> but we have Dr. Kevin Armbrist, who is the director of editorial for the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. We also have layman Peter Slayton, who is the social media manager for the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. And we appreciate both of them giving up of their time apart from the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, although on the radio station of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, to, uh, to also contribute to this this fine show where we read through the Lutheran Confessions and discuss it. Well, I think given the nature of both of our positions, talking about the theology of our church and helping teach that is kind of what we do in our regular vocations here for the Synod anyways. It just makes sense to actually talk about it. Yeah, and in the social <laughs> media realm of which you work, I mean, it works so naturally that now now we give you content to share. <laughs> and so I thank you. <laughs> you know, when I started this show, we had five listeners. And thanks to your sharing on social media, we probably have a whole six now. Sometimes we have seven. Seven. Wow. Yeah. That one person's not really committed, though, so it's kind of yeah. comes and goes. Yeah. I'm nervous now. <laughs> It all, all depends right. on who that one person is, isn't it? Yeah. We, we always have to start the show with a little bit of fun. Now that we got that out of our system, let's be well, serious. Well, maybe you got it out of your system. That's what this show is really about. <laughs> serious stuff, serious confession of the Lutheran Christian faith, because it's the scriptural faith. And we continue to work through on this show the formula of Concord. And we are in Article 2 of the epitome of the formula of Concord, which is on the free will, which... As I shared last week, summary, you don't have one, <laughs> at least in matters of salvation, right? It is divine monergism. God saves you. God does the work. Um, go go check out last week's episode. Great discussion that we had on uh, the, the actual summary of that. We've covered the affirmative uh, theses of that, and uh, we, we made it through a whole two theses of the negative. I, it, it bothers me a little bit that we spend one show on all the affirmative theses, you know, so one hour, and then we spent one whole show on two of the, are, are we more prone to the negative? No, no, this, this is simply the way internet theology works. Everybody knows that it's the arguments and stuff that last forever and ever, and you get Because I love telling comments. you how wrong you are. Yeah, you get the 200 comments on those threads, but the person who's just simply proclaiming the gospel and the truth and just puts out a nice Bible verse, you get two likes. And that's how Maybe. it works. Yeah. That's, you know... I get no likes on any of my Facebook well, I have stuff. several bot accounts following some of my stuff, so okay. the bots always click like. That works. Like. That yeah. gives you job security. Go find yourself some bots. All right. And you can feel better about yourself. Maybe I'll just hire you to be my social media manager. 
because I surely have the budget of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. To There's do a this. click farm in Pakistan that I can I can tell you how to. Kevin, I feel Kevin's like we're, like, I feel like like we're I'm getting done. far afield. I'm out of here. It's it's great that he works in editorial stuff, you know, and you know, like you know, print things like he, he people tries used to, to edit do. Me, but I get it out there before he can <laughs> say anything. <laughs> All right, coming back to the to the topic at hand, which is really important, and and but I mean, so again, kind of a little fun there, but but a serious thing that it, it does seem somewhat easier to talk about how wrong people are, mm. but but at the same time, I do think it is important to understand because as we talked last week at length, you know, th- this this sort of thinking is so pervasive even still today in our American culture. And in our American thinking, I would just say it's our corrupted, sinful human nature thinking, right? Um, that cupiscence. Yeah. No, oh, you. you I got it, it first. Got it. Got it in first this week. But but right. I mean that that's and so you know it, it can be so easy to fall into this thinking. And I think last week you even brought up how um, you know you, you have really wrestled with these things even while being Lutheran. You know, Ish. still holding holding <laughs> some theologies and 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 kind of pointing to those things in your past, and I I can certainly do that too. I I think a lot of folks really can, and so it, you know when we talk about you know what is wrong with the uh, the different uh, philosophies or ideologies or or doctrines or teachings that are out there and so forth, we're doing it not to be mean, and and it's really with with great humility, although we're not always maybe. The, the, presenting it such yeah, a it doesn't way, always come through. Come through, but <laughs> but you know, really, it, it's recognizing that we too have been impacted by these things, and, and and we're trying to be careful. And and to to bring up what Dr. Kevin so wonderfully pointed out for us last week uh, is that right at the beginning of the negative statements, this line, you know, is really important for for understanding this, right? So it says we reject and condemn all the following errors as contrary to the standard of God's word. And that's why we're we're talking about why this is wrong and that's why we're pointing out error and we should probably present it <laughs> that way and in, in a more loving way and sometimes our sinful nature gets going on us on that as well. But that's because, you know, God's word which is so contrary, you know, we, I often talk about this as a pastor in my Bible classes, right? You know, when you look at what the Bible presents to us, it's like the world upside down, except for it's right side up and the world is upside down from God's word. Right. And so these things are so contrary to us. And so that is, yeah, it just kind of grabs us as, you know, weird and so forth. But so we spend time on this just because it's important because God's word is important because it is life Mm -hmm. for us. It's eternal life. And so, um, Jumping back into this then, so we're going to pick up with negative theses number three, which is paragraph 10 of the epitome of the formula of Concord. Uh, Again, we're working through um, the Book of Concord, which is the Concordia, the Lutheran Confessions Reader's Edition of the Book of Concord, which you can get from Concordia Publishing House, the publishing arm of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Senate. Great edition, uh, full of indexes and everything else that is uh, really helpful resources for you as well. But... Uh, so, so this negative, well, I am on the wrong page now, um, back here, uh, to uh, negative theses number three, just before I read this though, I, we, we do need to back up to negative theses number two, which we maybe covered in four minutes last week. That it was fast, but, but, it, but it was, it was easy to cover, I think. Um, so check it out. But back there, we talk about the Pelagians. Now in the negative theses, number one, we talked about the Manichaeans and the Stoic philosophers. Um, but then uh, the Pelagians, but now we're going to talk about the semi-Pelagians. So I'm going to charge Dr. Kevin 
who seems to be playing games in the studio yeah, I don't know here what today. He's what, doing. what are you doing here? All he's, right, focus. He's fidgeting um, yeah. a lot. <laughs> he hasn't said a word yet. Um, but uh, That's so probably why he's you, fidgeting. I, I want you to be able to to distinguish for us between the Pelagians and the semi-Pelagians. Um, and why we need a, a further thesis. And as on we this. talked about last week, crucify them both. Oh, wait a minute. Yeah. I think I phrased yeah. that wrongly yeah. again. <laughs> yeah. We're going to take the theology to the foot of the cross. How about yes. we start okay. saying it that okay. way? <laughs> All right. Uh, so this is uh, negative thesis number three from Article Two of the Epitome of the Formula of Concord on the Free Will, paragraph 10. We also reject the error of the semi Pelagians. They teach that a person by his own powers can begin his conversion, but cannot complete it without the Holy Spirit's grace. All right, I'm going to pause there. Take it away. Okay, so it's really simple. So Pelagius was this dude a long time ago. He's not alive. Don't worry, you're not going to offend him. And he thought that man saves themselves, that it's man's fault, we're guilty of sin, and that... Was Pelagian a Christian? Well, there you go. Um, he taught theology within the church. Um, so he, he would claim to he be would Christian. claim to be a Christian, but this is the kind of the problem is he's a heretic. So not really. Um, but the idea was that, that the scriptures teach us that we are responsible for our sin and our sin deserve God's wrath, which is temporal and eternal punishment as we confess in our, in our confessions on Sunday morning. Um, and so he said, well, if I'm responsible for my sin, then it's up to me to save myself. So that's what it is, is that... So stop sinning. Right. Stop sinning and do what pleases God and you will be saved. That's Pelagianism. So God really had no role in our salvation. It was literally up to us entirely. And pretty much no one thought that was a good idea. That's crass Pelagianism, is that it's 100% man saving themselves or people or women. What are you know, People saving themselves. And kind of no one said that's right because that doesn't make any sense. I mean, the scriptures aren't even, you can't even get that, right? So what happened is called semi-Pelagianism, in which people said, well, God played some role, you know. And yeah, then you it, need him. Yeah, you need him somehow. <laughs> He's just, God, We're Christians. Right. <laughs> We're Christians. Um, so so semi-Pelagianism is simply the idea that I, as a sinner, begin the process of being saved. I turn from my sin. I agree with God's grace, I whatever, fill in the blank, but I take some action to turn toward God, and then the Holy Spirit will come along with that action and complete that action, which results in salvation, okay? And in different versions of this, the death and resurrection allows God to have grace to join with me in that work, or, or the death and resurrection of Christ earn the merit that joins with my merits to please God, however you want to combine it, right? But it ends up being some kind of combination which begins with my work, and then God kind of helps me out. That's semi-Pelagianism. So full Pelagianism is that I just do the whole thing, right? And like I said, kind of nobody thought that was the right thing, because then God's doing nothing. Which is why um, we could cover it in four minutes at the yes. end of last week's episode. <laughs> but but oddly enough, let, let's be fair. All of us are Pelagian in, in some way. Sometimes at, we're tempted to think it's all up to me. Yeah. And, and that's why we have to I keep think that about it. every single Sunday when I stand up in the pulpit, actually. Yeah, yeah exactly. Which is like I'm just airing my own yeah. issues here on but live I, radio. I would assume every pastor probably has that struggle. Yeah. And, and all if of I us, could just give a, a good sermon here, right, it'll work. Or every doctor who goes into surgery says it's all up to me to cure this person yeah. and to fix them. 
Well, or, or something that all of us in this room face, every parent thinks this. Mm-hmm. My child's, uh, the result of how they're going to live their life, their faith, whatever, it's, it's because I did something right or wrong, right? I, I, oh, I shouldn't have taught them that. Now they're going to, you know, it's all up to me. As right, I just love them more when they were right, younger, right? Right. Yeah. As though God in his baptismal promises was like, no, I'm just kidding. It's really up to you. <laughs> what? So, so we're always tempted to see ourselves as God, to see ourselves as the center of the universe, to see ourselves as the one that controls our destiny. It's the original right? sin. That's original sin. So Pelagianism is simply saying, yeah, that's right. You're in charge. Well, again, like I said, the church could not go with that. So semi-Pelagianism actually did become a very prominent teaching in the church, um, still is. The idea that that you take the impetus to change and then God will come along and take even your feeble beginnings, even if it's just a spark, even if it's just a, a tiny little turn, God will finish the rest of the work. But it, it starts with you. It starts with you turning. It starts with you deciding. It starts with you doing something. That's semi-Pelagianism. And this will come back when it comes into the issue of good works and things like that. We've covered this in the Apology of the Augsburg Confession, especially where we talked about it in this way that, you know, very common at the time of the Reformation is this idea, right, that, you know, God's death and resurrection, again, as you said, makes it possible for Mm -hmm. God's grace and merits to join with yours, right? Um, But then this is where, you know, doing doing the good works and urging towards them and so forth. Well, yeah, you have to do these things. And and again, lest we think that that's just the Reformation 500 years ago, right? Um, This is still going on in a lot of Christian pulpits or in the pulpits that bear the name Christian anyway. I think a lot of evangelism goes this way. Oh, yeah. God has done all this. Won't you turn? Won't you ask? Won't you... Won't you dedicate your life to this? Yeah. And then all of a sudden you're going, well, so the first move of salvation is me turning or me asking or me deciding or me no longer drinking and smoking and swearing and whatever. Right. And, and so whenever we with girls who do, right. Yeah. Whenever we turn the conversation to God has done all this. Now you have to, we are in the trap of semi-religionism. Right. And that's what we're talking about. And it's so tempting for all of us because we, we're Americans. It's a sales pitch. We got to close the deal. Right. We got to convince someone to do something. In the pursuit of apologetics. I mentioned this last week. It's the same sort of thing. I, you know, if, if I've got the right argument, if I've got everything lined up, I've answered every question, now they will right. what? They'll right. agree. And, like, they'll... and if they don't, well, they've rejected God's word. It's like, ah, so hold on. <laughs> the problem is, is that the Bible doesn't picture people as mostly broken with a little bit of goodness. and They just got to decide to choose that goodness. The scripture pictures us dead and dead people can't do anything. Right. So that's why we reject this. We say, no, that's, that's <laughs> you, not what scripture says. You actually can't do anything. Um, it's not that you're, you're kind of just making a bunch of bad decisions. You got to change your mind or you're in a pattern of bad behavior. And you got to fix that. No, you're dead. And, and laying in the coffin, six yes, feet under, six feet under <laughs> and you're dying. You're dead and dying and it's going to get worse. So there's nothing you can do to fix this. That's actually the way the scripture presents it. You think of Romans 3, you know, no one after, seeks after God, no, not one, no one is righteous. You think of, of Ephesians chapter 2, as for you, you were dead in your trespasses. Um, Can we do Ezekiel's Valley of Dry Ezekiel Bones? Ezekiel with a Valley of Dry so Bones. you got Old Testament you know, imagery you, you, too. You think of... Um, which, which I love that one because of the, you know, you were talking about, you know, kind of we, we have to... 
you know, kind of turn towards with with our works, with our merits and so forth. When we understand the nature of the word repent, which is actually a passive thing, right? It is done to you. You are the the word repent means to turn, but it means if if I may in, in English this way, it's not exactly right, but you know, to be turned, right? And well, what does that? Well, God's word. What happened in the valley of the dry bones? Speak. Yeah. <laughs> right? Speak <laughs> to these bones, right? Proclaim that word. And then all of a sudden they start coming together and you got muscles and sinews and everything coming on there and, and, and they're alive. Right. They are brought to new life. Uh, they are recreated. And this is exactly, exactly what happens in the faith. Sorry to derail you there. Which but, makes but no I just, sense. Yeah. I mean, there's it's a completely of unreasonable. You've got to take those bones and you've got to make them into humans. Right. So what's the first thing you do? Well, we know this. There's a book written about this. You find other human flesh and you start piecing it together to make a human. Right. And God says, no, no, no. Just Are you talking about Frankenstein. Yeah, that's yeah. the book. Right. <laughs> it's, it's, but see, this is the point. How do you make and a dead person lightning. to a live person? You take some human stuff and you try to jolt them or something to make them alive. And God says, no, speak to the bones. And Ezekiel's like, well, how is that going to help? They don't have ears. They can't hear. And God's like, I don't care. <laughs> not worried about what they can and can't do. I didn't I'm going that. to do this, right? The God who says, let there be and there is also in his word says, and it happens, right? And so we're removed from any role that we play in this. And it's simply God doing it the way he promises to do it. And and so as we reject semi-Pelagianism, we, we reject crass Pelagianism. Again, that's pretty easy. But then even semi-Pelagian where you're saying, well, I'm going to meet God halfway or he's going to do 90% and I'm going to do 10, whatever. We say, no, 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 that's also wrong. Your will is not free to choose to do good. It simply isn't. Um, concupiscence, original sin, has so corrupted you that you are actually in bondage to sin, not free to do good. And and I like how you, you gave us the very practical application of this already. And, 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 and it can be really easy, again, as we talked about, to just talk about you know how everybody's wrong and things like that. But, but kind of the old childhood thing, too, how many fingers are pointing back at you when you're pointing at others, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I'm not calling anyone out specific or any program that of our church body or anything. I'm, I'm not getting specific on this. But I think we all can evaluate. Again, I can just evaluate my own pastoral ministry and how I fall so easily into this, you know, not just in my sermons, but, you know, but, well, what do we do to grow our churches? What do we do to, 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 to uh, witness to others and so forth? And it becomes more about a sales pitch. And we follow, I mean, you know, yeah, take this unreasonable thing out into the world, right? And just say, yeah, just speak to people. Tell them about the product, right? And, and it'll, it'll happen. Well, that's not a way to sell it, right? right. I mean, that's a right. part of it, but <laughs> but you know, you, you gotta get them to see their need and da da da, and they gotta they gotta want to come to it, and, and all those sorts of things start to play into it, and it's like, yeah, we've become semi-Pelagianists in in how we're proclaiming the faith instead of just seeing my work is to stand up here in the pulpit or to stand there and talk to my brother or to talk to my friend or whoever else may be, right? And 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 see them as a valley of dry bones. Just speak that word. I'm going to say that to my kids tonight as we're doing prayer time. All right, you dry bones. Everybody <laughs> but gather around. Not, but they're not dry bones. Well, they're bones. not. Yeah, they are. They're, they're Israel standing there. Yeah, yep. exactly. Because they have been recreated yes. by the word with the water. Yeah. And so. If you don't come to prayer time, you're dry bones. Though. Right. Yeah. But but see, that's the thing is, is <laughs> and 
I, a really good friend of mine just had his kid baptized this Sunday, right? And so what happens is, is that dead is made alive. And the only way that happens is because the Son of God himself, in his death and resurrection, has given to us eternal life, right? And well, how does he do that? Through his word. Well, guess what? He's attached that word to water. And so we believe his promises. When you're baptized, you receive the Holy Spirit. You receive forgiveness of sins, right? You're baptized into Christ. You have put on Christ. You're joined to his death. You're joined to his resurrection. And so what happens is your kids, my kids, your kids are not the Valley of Dry Bones. They are Israel standing with the Spirit of God, the breath of God. They are alive in Christ. And, and that's a promise that will never end, right? And what we're saying in this article is, I had no role to play in that, right? I had nothing to do with it. It's simply given to me by God, done to me by God, given to me as a gift. The churchy way we often talk about this is it creates and sustains, right? That's what the word does. Mm -hmm. and, and it's not even the most churchy way of talking about things, right? It's not even fancy theological language, right? We understand creates, we understand sustains, right? But that, that is what the word does. And, and to recognize that it is not an act of our will, uh, but of God's will and grace is, is just, it, it, is, it is the standard of God's word that, that guides our understanding, Right. All right. Uh, so we've covered that. Let's 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 push for it. Let's make it a little further. Let's make it our mission to make it further today. Yes. All right. So this is now uh, back to uh, reading from the Formula of Concord, Article Two. Uh, this is Paragraph Eleven, Negative Theses Number Four about the free will. Some have acknowledged that a person is too weak to begin his conversion by his free will before regeneration and that he cannot turn himself to God by his own powers and be obedient to God from the heart. Yet they still assert that if the Holy Spirit has made a beginning by the preaching of the word and has offered his grace in the word, then a person's will from its own natural powers can add something. A person's will, though little and feeble, can help and cooperate, qualify and prepare itself for grace and so embrace and accept the word and believe the gospel. All right, what's going on here? <laughs> It, it's it's another okay well a little bit okay so we can't help we can't do everything that's pelagianism we can't do the last little bit or the first little bit with semi-pelagianism but and it's not determined yeah and it's not predetermined we, right. it's it's not that but okay fine but i can just do a little bit afterwards or just a little bit in here there, there's somewhere in here i got to do something people come on that's kind of what the essence of this argument is. So, like you said, we don't want to be so negative that we just kind of point the finger at everybody and say, you're wrong. But this is something that's very simple for all of us, and we do it all the time, is there are two people standing in front of us. One is a Christian, one isn't. They've both heard the word. What's the difference between the two? And we're, we're tempted to say, well, that person has rejected the word of God. That person has accepted, accepted it. That person made a bad decision when they heard the word of God. This person made a good decision when they heard the word of God. And it's logical. And so this, this is actually addressing those who say, well, okay, obviously sinners can't save themselves. Duh. The Holy Spirit has to start the process. But certainly the reason that someone saved, because once the Holy Spirit started, there's a little bit of goodness in them that went, oh, yeah, 
that's right. That's what I should be doing. And that explains why some people are saved and not others, because there's this little bit of goodness in them that once the Holy Spirit gets the ball rolling, they keep it going. And this article says, nope, not even that. That's not right. Because that's still saying it's not divine monergism, that it's something that I do that results in salvation. And we can't even accept that equation, right? You can't ever say that the reason that person is saved is something in them. Whenever that question is asked is why someone is saved, all glory and praise goes to Christ, right? We always say that salvation is something that God has given, done for a sinner with zero effort on that sinner's behalf, right? Article 4 of the Oxford Confession lays it out. There's, there's no merits. There's no works. There's no satisfactions. It's by grace through faith. Third article of the Creed from the Small Catechism. I believe I cannot by my own reason or strength believe in Jesus Christ my Lord or come to him. That's, but the Holy Kevin's Spirit has called me by the gospel. Yeah. <laughs> and, and again, it's not that and I can't do it very well or I can't do it very much. No, I can't do it at all. Now, I think we hear this one quite a lot. And what I'm about to say might sound um, evangelical, but I'm saying this because I've actually heard this from Lutheran pulpits, too. So I'm not picking on— Well, we on... were the original evangelicals. <laughs> I'm not picking on just the American church. I'm actually pointing at us where we have our own tendency to do this. But it's it's the the preaching that goes, here's everything that Christ did for you. Here's all, you know, all the work that he's accomplished. He's paid for it all. Now, at the very end, you just need to fill in the blank. You know, if it's if it's a more American evangelical congregation, it might be decide to follow Jesus, commit your life to Maybe him. Maybe an altar call. An altar call, that sort of thing. But even in Lutheran congregations, I've heard remember your baptism used as the phrase at that point. And I'm like... Kind of becomes a law-oriented. Wait a minute. That <laughs> just became about me. Yeah. You know, or... or be- even believe it. All you have to do is believe it. it. And you hear this from Lutheran too. It's like, well, that's still a law statement about me. And so you see this stuff just creeping in, even in how we talk about it, because, because, okay, let me put, I don't think we've mentioned this yet. We're, we're attracted to all of these because this is what our sinful nature wants. And therefore none of us in this room are exempt from being tempted to say these things or to look at theology in this way. So even as Lutherans who like to say that we've got everything figured out, we still say these things and we still fall into them. And sometimes we even embrace them wholeheartedly because we think this is a great way to do it because this is our own sinful nature, our own concupiscence leading us to say these things. I mean, I think we've mentioned several times we're not just being negative about others. This is where the rubber hits the road. Yeah. Why do we do these things? Well, because we're sinners. And these are all the different ways we want to see this instead of the way scripture talks about it. I think we went a whole episode last week without ever mentioning my favorite theologian, CFW Walther. You know what we did? Yeah. But uh, he'll get in here this week. He talks about this in his great work, Law and Gospel. And he says, some preachers think that by proclaiming the gospel too clearly, right, or, or uh, this is a Sean Smith paraphrase version, so the, the <laughs> words are failing me now. But essentially, you know, he says, you know, that that if I just proclaim the gospel, right, that when people fall into sins, right, it's it's basically my fault because I, I haven't, you know, done it. And he's like, no, you just proclaim the gospel, right? And you got to rightly distinguish law and gospel. So that was a gross oversimplification of CFW Walther. <laughs> Don't hold anything against him for my failure to paraphrase correctly. But please do come right back after this break. 
the USA is the third largest mission field in the world, and church planning is one of the most effective means of making new disciples, new missions to new people and new places. Get ready to plow the fields. Check out the Mission Field USA podcast produced by the LCMS Office of National Mission. You can find it at kfuo.org or anywhere you get your podcasts. Concord Matters with our cohort of Christ Confessing Concordians, Dr. Kevin Armbrus, who's the director of editorial for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Senate, layman Peter Slayton, social media manager for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Senate. And I never introduced myself. I don't think I did it last week. I don't think I did this. I'm Pastor Sean Smith, who is your host. (laughs) And I usually catch you out on that, too, and I totally missed it. And also lover of CFW Walther, and I terribly misquoted him. trying to paraphrase him you ever have those moments it's really bad when it happens on radio where like you have a thought and then all of a sudden the words leave your head and you're like i should shut up but i don't know how to do that because i have this corrupted sinful nature that just must talk and all, i'm the all host of, my of a moments show moments like that happen on the radio what here's the quote though i got it here's where most preachers make their mistake they are afraid that by preaching the gospel too clearly it will be their fault if people lapse into sin they imagine that the gospel is food for the carnal-minded. True enough, to many, the gospel does become the smell of death unto death. But that is not the fault of the gospel. That happens only because men do not accept, do not believe the gospel. Faith is not merely thinking, I believe. Your whole heart must be seized by the gospel and come to rest in it. When that happens, you are transformed and cannot help but love and serve God. CFW Walther, guys, isn't he amazing? I love that man. He's Great theologian. In, and believe. Well, I mean, <laughs> so this is a linguistic thing, right? You know, so we can say receive. See, but this is the problem, isn't it? Is that we don't have language to express the entire passive nature of salvation. Our verbs aren't geared to talk about entirely passive realities. So we have to use words like accept. And that'll actually be covered in the, in the later in this, in the negative theses. He didn't say accept. Where did it say accept? Oh, that happens only because men do not accept. Right. Right. That is, do not believe. It's explained. Right. Exactly. So he's he's equating accepting and believing. Right. But then he he explains this further. This is how language works. I'm going to teach you here, Dr. Kevin. Yes. (laughs) Mr. Editor (laughs) of language. It says, you know, seized by the gospel and come to rest in it. He explains what he means by accept there, right? And I think that's a very faithful rendering. See, that's the point is that. It's not wrong to say I accept the gospel, just like it's not say to say, wrong to say I'm saved by my faith. But, but the question is, what do you mean by that? Who's doing that work? See, when Lutherans say we're saved by faith, we're not saying that's something I'm doing. We actually attribute all that work to the Holy Spirit. And when somebody who is from a different theological background says, I believe, they could be attributing that to something they do a decision they made. And so we could be using the same words and still have a misunderstanding of who's doing what. So when Lutherans say, when Walther says accept, or when Lu- Walther says believe. And he was not, working in German, so, right. so just fault the translator that's the translation, that. yeah. right? J.T. Mueller. The German's yeah, probably exactly. perfect in this, I'm sure. But but even when you account these words as, as in the scriptures, right, we don't attach to them the ideas of man doing things or I'm doing things. We actually understand this in the in light of all of scripture that teaches us that God is the one who works these things in us. 
right? God is the one who works. And so even as you have, as, as you use words, sometimes it's important to understand what the person you're talking to understands with that word and to make sure as you uh, proclaim the gospel to your neighbor, as you witness to your neighbor, that, that you explain the words you're using, right? Make and, sure they understand what, who does what. And, and, you know, that can become really overwhelming. I, I know at least some points in my life that almost just makes me be silent, which is ironic for a pastor who likes to talk. Some <laughs> people think I love the sound of my own voice and host a radio show that, that you know, but, but it's true. Like, it, it just becomes, like, incapacitating to think that that's so much on me. And then that's the point of this article again, too, is recognize really the Holy Spirit's doing it all along here, right? And mm-hmm. and so we should always pray. I, I love Luther, Luther's uh, sacristy prayers. Very rich in this, you know, like this, this is the work that you've given me to do. So help me because if I were ever on, I'm paraphrasing Luther now, but if I were ever on my own, I would surely ruin everything, right? And, and that, that, is, that is true in all of our conversation as well. Now, I also... As, as much as I quote CFW Walther, I, I tend to quote my wife a lot on this too, but she, she often says, words mean things, right? And so it's important to acknowledge that, right? The words do have meaning. And so oftentimes when I'm in these conversations or in Bible class, right, I will often gently correct when I hear language of accept and so forth and say, let's use receive because that helps us understand what's actually going on here, right? Um, and, and it's good to clarify our language and so forth, but recognize that the Holy Spirit is at work. So I, I'm commending what you said, mm-hmm. but also giving us the comfort of really, mm-hmm. God is doing the work Gosh. here all along, right? And, <laughs> yep. so, and so we certainly have a good bit of grace even in our conversation. All right, let's push forward. So I, I feel like uh, we, we have covered what's going on here, but it's gonna build on these, these arguments. Was, as we've already seen, one progresses into the next. It's a good logical presentation of what's going on. So this is picking up now paragraph 12, Negative theses number five. Some have taught that a person, after he has been born again, can perfectly observe and completely fulfill God's law, and that this fulfilling is our righteousness before God, by which we merit eternal life. I see this one play out in the church a lot. I, I, I think that you know, again, not necessarily even intentionally, but a lot of times people think that you kind of have to have your act all together in order to even come to church. Right. And if you don't, well, you just maybe you're not a real Christian or, you know, all sorts of bad things come in here. Right. Or, you know, I can't be there, you know, or they're full of hypocrites. You know, they don't have their act together. And so I'm not going to bother. Just a lot of bad ideas come into this. So 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 expound upon this this negative thesis a little more. Well, it's, it's really simple. We've we've moved from the idea that that God plays no role and it's totally up to humans. We rejected that. And then we went, okay, well, then humans start it and God finishes it. And we said, nope, we reject that too. And then we said, okay, God starts it, but humans finish it when it comes to the work of salvation. And we said, nope, that's wrong too. And they said, okay, so God does all the work of saving, but then it's up to me to be perfect to continue to merit that salvation as I live through life. And we go, nope, that's also wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Also not true. That's also not how scripture talks. So that's what we've done. We've moved the human will and, and the effort of humanity from doing all of it to beginning it 
right? And then well, remember we it, started with it not being about yeah, human right. We will. should start with the deterministic, right? Yeah, yeah. exactly. The Stoics and the uh, Manichaeans. Yeah. But now we're to the in this in this little section. We move from us doing all of it to us beginning it to us finishing it, and now it's okay. God does all the salvation act, but we have to be perfect. I'm going to keep it in going. order to stay in it. Yeah. And and we say nope. That's also not the way it goes. And and if we go back to the art, the third article of the creed. It's not just that the Holy Spirit initially gives me faith, and then it's up to me to sustain it, right? It's that the Holy Spirit also keeps me in the one true faith, keeps the whole Christian church in the one true faith. So, Calls, gathers, enlightens, and sanctifies, sanctifies. which is where I was going to go with this, because again, we see this in, in what we talk about American evangelical, which is really not true evangelical. Right? So I was giving you a hard time earlier. We're the original evangelicals, which kind of played it nicely to your idea that yep. yes, this does even this temptation shows up in Lutheran churches, but, but, and, and this too still shows up in Lutheran churches, very dominant theology in your American evangelical churches. A lot of your big non-denominational churches and things of that nature as well is that your sanctified life, your, your living in holiness has to be, has to be there. This has to be your response what, was that a ding? Yeah, you, you've hit the nail on the head. No, just an accident. Okay. Well, I, 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 think I thought we had sound effects we, on the show all of a sudden. Ooh, we got a sound Foley <laughs> operator. Yeah. <laughs> but but, you, but you, you, dominant theology still out there. Yeah, you see these movements throughout history after the Reformation, and I'm sure before too, but there, you have the holiness movement. You have the Wesley brothers themselves are some of the key players, at least as it's come from Western Europe into the United States. The, the movements that they started with this focus on the Christian life and holiness and what that should look like and the progressive nature of it, that you should be getting better and better and better. And depending on where where you're at on that spectrum, the idea that even in this life you can become perfect and without sin, that it just progresses into total sanctification. Um, you, you see that in uh, that remains in the Wesleyan Church still exist today. You've got the Nazarene movement, which is interesting. My understanding is it's a split off of the Wesleyan church that wanted to retain the idea of Christian perfectionism being attainable in this life because the Wesleyan church was kind of moving away from that a little bit. They're the group that said, no, 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 that's biblical. We want to keep that. And so they split off. Um, uh, Many of the Pentecostal movements often have an element of that holiness in it. Your Anabaptist, your Amish, yeah, have that. this in there. Uh, you, you you also get this um, with the the Pietism, the Pietistic movement. Once again, which, it's our problem yeah, too. Look at that, which, which came out of the Lutherans, right? Yep. But and 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 just to come back to I, this is not the Confessions of the Wesleyan Church or Methodists or so forth. I, I'm not even qualified to get get in, but it's interesting their development because they kind of run this spectrum. You know, Wesley himself runs this spectrum mm-hmm. that we've talked about here of like you know you have to do this work and he just get, meets this frustration. And then he actually encounters some Lutheran theology, and yeah, he's what, like, oh, wait, this grace stuff is really great. Was and, it and John then, that backed off of it later in life, or was it Charles? I can't remember which one was going down that path, and it was like, wait a minute. Well, Charles 
encountered the Moravians. Okay. Uh, as did John as well. And uh, but Charles kind of came over to it early, and that's where they encountered some of the Lutheran theology and so forth. And it was kind of this big conversion for them, and uh, for for both of them. But John was a little behind his brother Charles in this. Um, but that's where I say then they still fall short because then they still have the holiness movement after conversion, right? Um, that we're talking about here. I, I do have one question though, because the the very last phrase of this, by which we merit eternal life. I don't know if any of those movements would say that in that way. So I, I want to put that out there just to show I'm not trying to unfairly caricature. Yeah, again, those as I said, we're, we're not being, super well qualified. Yeah, as to actually dig being a one to one, those are the ones who are doing this today because I, I haven't heard them necessarily saying by doing that you merit eternal. Well, life. if you look at the current Methodist Church in America. They're so far from what Wesley was doing anyway, that, and they're splitting as it is now. That's sure. for a whole nother show. But I just wanted to put at least that one caveat out there where it's like right. it, it fits to a degree, but I don't know if it fully fits what we're talking and, about. And here. as we talk about here, you know, again, we're, we're doing this not to be spiteful or just pointing out errors of other denominations or anything, anything of that nature. We're just highlighting some places where you may see this sort of thinking going on uh, and, and as it pervades even our own thinking, because again, even the childhood way of, you know, anytime you're pointing a finger at someone else, you got three pointing back at you. Right. You know, and, 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 and that's really where we should see this. And, and again, I think this plays into evangelism and so forth, right? Mm -hmm. I, I know it plays into my thinking because sometimes I look out there, I look at these recreated by water in the word, one in the same thing, you know, I'm not separating them, but, uh, you know, recreated there and so forth. But then I just see all these gross sins, you know, that the people are living in. And it's just like, what is going on here? Like, and, and it plays into that Walther quote that I read, right? You know, maybe, maybe I just, maybe I need more law, right? You know, or yeah. the gospel's just not being effective enough. Well, the gospel's doing its work, right? Uh, and, and maybe I should consider, am I actually proclaiming the gospel or am I, you know, <laughs> trying to manipulate them and getting a little too legalistic, right? I mean, there's a lot of things to wrestle with mm -hmm. there. Um, but, but we fall into this temptation of we don't see the progression and sanctification, which and we're going to cover in future articles if we ever make it on. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, we, we don't often see this, right, because um, we're being dragged along by, by the Holy Spirit at work through his word. And, uh, and, and so we want to try and force things to happen. And so then we, we become very legalistic and say, mm -hmm. well, no, you, you need to start ordering your life in this righteousness. And again, I think that most probably, you know, kind of like with uh, the, the Pelagianism, you know, we we know God has to have a role in this somehow, right? And 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 it'll come back around, I think, on this end as well, in the merit eternal life, right? Well, obviously God has to do that. So we'll stop short of it, although it's probably actually part of our thinking is like, you know, I have to do these things if I want to get into heaven. Why is Grandma Schmidt in heaven? Well, look at how good she was, right? <laughs> you know, I mean, and, and that's, and we get into this thinking with Christian funerals all the time or obituaries. Just sit down and read through yeah. the obituary page. It's not depressing, I promise, except for the fact that it's depressing how many people think that they can save themselves by listing all the good things that they did in life, right? How about, this is a poor, miserable sinner who was saved by God's grace. Come to hear about that Put in that the Christian funeral. Put that on your it's going to be on mine. I have very strict orders written out <laughs> for when I'll pass away before my wife, I'm sure. 
um, just because I can't shut my mouth. But uh, <laughs> I think men die earlier, generally speaking. Yeah. So you know, um, it's a safe bet. But uh, very strict instructions <laughs> of what of how my obituary should read and so forth. And it's actually from the Lutheran agenda, which is a very good Lutheran confession of of our life and faith. Anyway, that was just my side soapbox because we also have to have Sean's soapbox uh, I, I, segments. Can we read six real quick? Because I have a thought that really ties what? Why don't six you go into ahead. five. Why don't you go ahead and read okay. it? We also reject and condemn the error of the Sorry, enthusiasts. Can't do that. They imagine they Oh the Oh no, Siri can't do that. Siri Siri this you is also the sound effects episode. Siri, yes. you also should condemn and reject these errors. <laughs> All right, starting over again at uh, argument six on line thirteen. Paragraph 13, we also reject and condemn the error of the enthusiasts. They imagine that God, without means, without the hearing of God's word, and also without the use of the holy sacraments, draws people to himself and enlightens, justifies, and saves them. We call people enthusiasts who expect the heavenly illumination of the Spirit without the preaching of God's word. And Kevin has pointed out our progression, and I wanted to read this because I'm like, ooh, that's the next step. Okay, so we've gone from your will has nothing to do with this, it's all predetermined, to your will has everything to do with this, it's totally up to you, to, okay, your will gets it going, you're the one who starts it, and then God will finish it, to, okay, no, your will, God's going to actually do most of it, and you're going to finish it off. Okay, fine, that's not it. You're, you're saved, your will keeps it going. Okay, that's wrong. Okay, fine. God's going to do this anywhere in any way whatsoever it's just going to happen somehow that's the next error is that it's not your it's not his but sorry it's not predetermined has nothing to do with your will therefore god's just gonna do whatever he wants and maybe he'll Anywhere. even do it through nature like living out in the trees yeah, and literally you know, these, anything yeah. is fair game for how this might happen just watch for god he's out there he's acting he's doing all this and just look for him he's gonna do it and just pay attention and you'll see him doing it somewhere out there anywhere. Well, and and also we're going to remove humans entirely from the equation. So God because it's so problematic with doesn't us anyway. work through humans because humans can't begin it, they can't end it, they can't keep it. So humans aren't involved. So God can't I've heard this from Christians. God can't save you through another sinner, right? He can't work that way. Mm. He's got to do something that's holy to save you. So I can't be saved because a sinner says the words to me because whatever words a sinner says is going to be corrupted by their sin. So I can't be saved that way. God's got to do it. Not another person. I'm not saved by a person. I'm saved by God. So my pastor can't forgive my sins. That's ridiculous. Only God can forgive my sins. So what they say is God's going to work apart from means. He's going to work apart from people. Mm-hmm. And they say, see, that way we're preserving the holiness of God. And we say, well, unfortunately, <laughs> that's, that's that's not the way it works. That's not what Scripture right? says. So, yeah. so then what we confess is, and going back to the very beginning of the whole section, is that Scripture teaches us that God works this salvation through the hearing of his word, through the proclamation and hearing of the word of God. Sinners receive the Holy Spirit, are given faith, and they believe. And we don't question that we don't say no god that's a bad idea we trust it and we confess it and we do it so and that's um, why we have very specific words in our absolution that the pastor speaks that i speak every sunday i by virtue of my office as a called and ordained servant of christ and by his authority 
forgive you all of your sins. In, in his stead Son. and by his command, yeah. Yeah. And Luther says, when you hear those words, don't doubt them, right? Like, believe that these, if, if Christ were standing there himself, he would say those words to you. So so this is actually what Scripture has taught us, as, as Jesus says to the apostles, whosoever sins you forgive, they are, are forgiven them. Like, yeah. whoa, really? We, we believe that. We trust the word of God. We trust the command of Christ. This is our whole view of the sacraments. It's not some logical, well, we figure all this out. No, it's, it's, it's this simple. Jesus said, take and eat, this is my body. So we go, okay, I believe that. <laughs> How do you explain that? Uh, in with an under? <laughs> like, which are three words that mean, I don't know. <laughs> I, I just believe that you said it, right? So it's bread and it's his body. And might not be the right word, right? It's in with and under, and and so it's it's the presentation of the word of God, the promises of Christ, the promises of God in Christ that we simply say, "I believe you." And and how do I say I believe you? It's not because I've logically figured this out or because I'm smart. It's because the Holy Spirit has worked faith that I might believe the word of God. And and to get to some places that this might show itself, right? And and I th- I think this happens again just evaluating our own life as well, probably most predominantly within our denomination and within, you know, just broad Christianity, whatever denomination you're in, by by our driving to kind of more secular counseling and psychology kind of ideas, again, touches of secular humanism and so forth play in here as well. But this this idea that I need to feel my forgiveness Right. And, and we just we totally cut out. I mean, just just the way that people cut out private confession and absolution as a great gift to the church. You know, again, paraphrasing Martin Luther, but in his brief exhortation to go to confession, you know, he says it really if you realize what a beautiful gift this is. Right. You would beat your pastor's door down and demand that he hear your confession and absolve (laughs) you again. That's the Sean Smith paraphrase version. I think that was available someday from from. Concordia Publishing House. We'll we'll do Sean Smith paraphrase version, but but no, I, I mean again, we we completely cut that out entirely because well, I don't need that guy, right? Mm-hmm. And, and and we have counselors and we pay lots of money to secular counselors. Again, I'm not slamming secular counselors or anything like that. Um, you know, <laughs> don't <laughs> don't whisper slam them. <laughs> That's on the radio here. There there are good Christian oh, counselors yes. and so forth yes. out there, but. But but I mean we we do need to be very very careful and I think we 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 create false idols and the same temptation happens actually with medicine too right and science as well again you can be a faithful Christian and practice these fields but it is so tempting to go too far into thinking well I can do this if we just find the right medicine the right cure whatever in in terms of that same thing with counseling I think you know it, we we start talking in the ways that counseling formed a lot by Freud, right? Who, who's very, he, he was very clear on this. Who took it even right. further. Yep. Well, yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, just this whole idea that, that Freud, he was very open about it. He wanted to replace the church. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and the, the idea then that I need to feel my forgiveness. And to, when I hear Christians talk about that, it's like, ah, oh, what a, what a terrible, terrible burden you must be living with to do that, this enthusiasm, it's not actually making your life any better to live this way with this thinking. Go, come talk to me as your pastor. Right? See, and this, this is where we've talked about two phrases over and over the last two episodes, especially, but this idea of taking 
that theology taking that idea and crucifying it. But I have more and more, as I'm talking to my kids, as I'm teaching them, and as I'm having discussions with other people, asking, where does Scripture talk like that? So this idea that you have to feel your sorrow or that you have to feel your forgiveness, I found it very helpful to simply step back and say, okay, where does Scripture talk like that? And if you can't find it, well, maybe it's not actually there or let's stop talking like that until we can find where that's actually how scripture talks. And I, I think I appreciate so much the standard of God's word. Exactly. <laughs> I was pointing out right here. That's, that's what they're saying, but how often do we forget to actually do that? And I find myself in these arguments, in these discussions, purely relying on my own reason and the logical arguments and things that I've built up over years of experience of having these things. And I'm relying on that Lately, I've been just going straight to, okay, well, where does Scripture talk like that? Just just point it out to me. What I find interesting and sad is that that actually usually stops the discussion. The discussion doesn't continue at that point. Because either the person doesn't want to look at Scripture or they don't actually know. But either way, it's like, well, no, that wasn't the point of this discussion. We were talking about something else, and then you brought the Bible into it. What are you thinking? <laughs> well, and and as we've said, all said now on this episode, at least, you know, there, there's you see a progression in these negative, you know, well, of course, that's the next logical thing, except that it's bad logic, right? It's it's it's, it's corrupted human reason that is figuring these things out, and and generally. You know, I can even again look at my own life, and maybe at times I'm still wrestling with these things, even as as a host and pastor in the church. You know, I I, I still, you know, I I can see. Oh yeah, I remember when I thought that, and and yeah, that that would be the next thing that I thought. Oh uh-huh. wow, <laughs> my, you know, and so this is the the really good, you know, benefit of of talking about these things is it helps us see and understand these things, and we bring it back to God's word not even bring it back. We just let God's word lead our thinking mm-hmm. and it crucifies my thoughts and, yep. and, and conforms them into his, his, his logic. Right. All right. So let's get the next, uh, the next logical, illogical progression here. <laughs> this is a uh, paragraph 14 negative theses. Number seven. Some teach that in conversion and regeneration, God entirely exterminates the substance and essence of the old Adam and especially the rational soul. They say that in conversion and regeneration, he creates a new essence of the soul out of nothing. All right, guys, take it away. Well, the, so now we're moving to God just eliminates the, the will the problem. Yeah, so God just eliminates our nature. And and again, we want to go back I to found the this on the web. <laughs> Serious just <laughs> being unhelpful today. Sorry. I want to know what she uh, found on the speaking, web that applies to speaking this. Speaking of eliminating things. <laughs> um so so then we say, well, God God is just going to get rid of my sinful will and give me a brand new will. And that sounds really good. As a matter of fact, it sounds like 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 15, the new creation, the old is gone. The new has come, but that's not actually what happens. And and this is what's so important. Again, as we look at at the the incarnation of Jesus Christ and the previous um, article about whether or not the the human nature is equated with original sin, and how we differentiate between the two. Because what happens is is God actually kills my original sin, but then raises up my will. 
raises up my person in Christ so that I am resurrected in Christ. He doesn't get rid of me. He actually restores me. And, and that's weird in some ways, but it's, it's a resurrection. It's not an annihilation. It's a resurrection. And again, this is also part of our eschatology, right? Our theology of the end times is that people are not annihilated. They don't cease to exist when Christ returns. They actually face an eternal reality. And that eternal reality is either in Christ or apart from Christ. So that we don't, we don't teach that God eliminates the sinful will. It's that he kills it and raises it up with Christ. That's the work of conversion. Well, I was just going to say, since we're at the end, we're not going to have time to read the rest of this, but we've kind of already covered because now we're going to get into here are not helpful ways to talk about this, and which we, we actually covered half of them already when we talked about our Walther paraphrase and our quote. We kind of did the example of there. And I don't, I don't know. I don't really have anything else to add. I just wanted to put out there that the rest of this simply says there are good ways to talk about this. Make sure you include the context. And that's what we've tried to do on this episode as we've gone through these ideas is included the context of where these come from and what they mean. That's really helpful. And that's Layman Slayton, who is the director of, or social media manager promotion. Yeah, for the Lutheran Church of Missouri Synod, along with Dr. Kevin Armbrus, who is the director of editorial for the Lutheran Church of Missouri Synod. Thanks for joining us today. And also, thank you, dear listener, for joining us also. If you would like to leave a question or comment for the next time that we convene for Concord, you can reach us at 314-996-1542, email kfuo at kfuo.org, or on social media, KFUO Radio.